This is Customer Experience Leaders, a podcast produced by Rated. It's a show where we reveal the secrets of how great brands delight their customers. Never let backstage come on stage uh, because every organization has an operational side to it. When you see Mickey Mouse without his head on, (laughs) that leaves a mark. That's the voice of Dennis Snow. He's a 20-year veteran from Walt Disney World. Actually, he started as a ride operator and eventually ended up managing various operating areas around Disney World. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey. And I'm Michael Momsen. So, Mike, Disney. Yeah, lots of um, anticipation around this show. I think we had a good amount of listener questions and engagement. I even had my children interested in asking some (laughs) questions from someone who worked at Disney. So, that's going to be a bit of fun. We spoke to Dennis about how Disney designs world-class customer experiences. We talk about building a team that delivers magical experiences, how to lead a culture of service excellence, and we go behind the scenes of how Disney creates the magic that they have at their theme parks. So, we started the show by asking Dennis what is the best customer experience that he's recently had. My mother uh, is 85 years old. She still drives, but she gets out of the house uh, periodically. And she went to her grocery store. And this is, she lives not too far from where I live. And she was picking up something for our Thanksgiving dinner. She had ordered something, got there, and what she had ordered wasn't there. And it turned out it was at one of their other grocery stores. So I thought, okay, they're going to tell my mom to go drive over to this other grocery store. And my mom, if she really doesn't know her way around, she's uncomfortable driving. So the store manager said, let's go take my car. And uh, they both got into the store manager's car, drove to the other store to pick it up. And my mom said, and we had a delightful conversation along the way. And, you know, we're good friends now. And that was just one of those things that, you know, I thought, okay, that was going above and beyond. But the fact that it was with my mom, you know, makes it twice as important to me. Uh, So, that was just last week. And that was one of those things that, you know, just just really touched my heart that somebody went that extra mile on a busy day, on a a very busy day too. What was the the brand? It's a a very popular store in in, uh, the the southeast of uh, the US called uh, Publix. And they're really known for their customer service. And I can see why. Yeah. They do a consistently good job. But that was really going above and beyond. It's funny, we ask this question a lot to uh, to, to guests on the show and it, it comes up quite often that it's just people doing something that's unexpected. They go a little bit yeah. above and beyond. Not not necessarily yeah. heaps, but but you right. know, they're not they're not kind of, right. you know, coming home and cleaning your house for you and cooking it, <laughs> you know, cooking the turkey, but yeah. but they just do this little bit that, that makes a difference. That's a great point. Now this was a big deal, you know, for her for this lady to take you know, the, the time off from a busy day and to go do that. that. It really was a big deal. But one of the things I do talk about in my presentations and my consulting is the importance of what you just talked about. It's the little wows. Because I always make the point, little wows add up. You know, you think about just one visit to a grocery store, the numbers of points of contact that happen. So just that friendly greeting, you know, helping you find something, explaining the best way to cook something, a fond farewell at the end of the, uh, the, the experience that, you know, those aren't big things, but if you put enough of those little things together, they, they really do add up. Maybe we can um, use this section to jump into 
your time at Disney. And obviously, Disney is famous at making amazing experiences. And so, it'd be good to understand, um, you know, what are some of the, the key elements in terms of the design of those processes and procedures behind the scenes that really enables them to deliver these world-class experiences? Well, I think that the thing that makes it work at Disney is, is they truly look at everything through the lens of the guest. You know, they call their customers their guests. It's not about the rides. You know, they have rides and shows, but that's not what Disney's selling. They're selling an experience. And so that impacts everything. From the moment you start planning your vacation to Disney to the moment you leave at the end, everything, that's the product. That's the product. And so they are very focused on the key elements from the, you know, when you arrive on the property, that you don't see the outside world anymore. Uh, The place is pristine. The cast members are happy to, they're genuinely happy to see you. They know the product very well. They know what time the parade is. They know what time the park closes. They know, you know, they know uh, where the shortest lines are, where the longest lines are. It's really not rocket science. They have just focused on what's the experience from the, from the moment you start planning to the moment you leave. How can we make this as Disney-fied as possible? You know, right down to when you come back to your hotel room and the stuffed Disney characters that you've been collecting over the course of your vacation, you know, they're tucked into the children's beds or they're positioned with milk and cookies like they've been having a little party while you're in the park. (laughs) That took 20 seconds for a housekeeper to do that, you know, but it. It's a, it's a wow. You know, it's a moment of wow. So they look at just all these little moments, you know, and, and what can they do? And any company can do that. Dennis, you, you mentioned a word there that I want to kind of hone in on. Um, you said, how do we Disneyify the experience? I want to understand, like, how you benchmark that. I, I don't think they're really benchmarking against anything in particular other than does it feel special? Mm-hmm. Does it feel like it's a magical experience? Do you feel like you're valued? You and your family, do you feel special? Again, at Disney, there's certain things that you can do. Like, you know, one of the things I used to love to do, and a lot of the cast members there, they see a guest getting ready to take a photograph of their family. You know, usually in every family, there's a designated photographer that never shows up you know, in any of the pictures. Uh, and so one of the things that they, you know, during training and everything they talk about, you see a guest getting ready to take a photograph of them and say, hey, can I, can I take the photo for you so that you can be in the photo also? That's a Disney-fied moment where you don't feel like you're just a number in a very crowded environment where it'd be very easy to feel like you're just a number. There's 20 million customers that go through the parks every single year. Uh, so, how do you make every single one of those 20 million feel special and feel that magic? It's the simple things, and, and I, I'm going to disappoint you with my answer. Uh, <laughs> it's the making the eye contact. It's the listening when somebody's talking to you. It's the saying, "How are you doing?" Are you? You know, when I would load my my first job at Disney World, there was an attraction there called Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Uh, it was a it was a submarine ride. And one of the things that you do is you board people onto the attraction. So you literally just have a moment with guests as you're boarding them on. But while you're doing that, you can still make the eye contact. You can still give them the genuine smile. You know, I, you can read the child's name off the back of their Mickey Mouse ears as they're walking by. Say, hey, Bobby, how you doing? And it just freaks the kid out because, you know, they don't, how did he know who I was? <laughs> and, the, you know, the parents think you're wonderful because they know exactly right. what it is. 
none of that takes any time. But that's, that's the magic of it. Those are the things that are really uh, built into the culture, is looking for how can you create those little moments even when there's a ton of people there. And we were just there last weekend, and I have a, th- uh, a four-year-old granddaughter. And one of the big things now is the whole Disney princess thing. And so she was in her Tiana princess gown. You know, cast members, would, when they would see her, they said, Tiana, you're here today. How are you doing? So they, and so these children, you know, they're dressed up as their favorite Disney princesses. And the people and the cast members are talking to them like they're their actual princesses. Uh, now, again, it's not taking any more time. But as their grandfather who paid for this experience, uh, it was a moment of magic for me. You've written a book, Lessons from the Mouse, which is right. exactly about what we're talking about, taking yeah. uh, the, the principles from Disney and then applying it to, to companies. It'd be worth maybe just unpacking some of these other key elements sure. for other businesses that are listening and they're going, I don't have a Disneyland where I can impress kids <laughs> coming yeah. in and I don't have the platform. What are some of these other practical things that, uh, that can be applied some of the things that are that they're in lessons from the mouse are things like never let backstage come on stage uh, because every organization has an operational side to it, uh, whether it could be stock rooms, it could be employee areas, you know, there's a, there's a backstage environment. You know, our philosophy was the guests should never see backstage because you put all this effort into creating a, a, an environment. And when you see backstage, just for that moment, You've compromised the experience. That applies to any organization. I was in a, I was in line at a drive-through for a fast food restaurant not too long ago, and as I'm sitting there waiting to put put my order in, uh, I looked over where the trash cans were, the dumpsters were. There were these doors that block it off, but the doors were sitting wide open. So here I'm waiting for my food, and I'm looking at overflowing trash cans. Oh yeah. So backstage just came on stage now. It's not the type of thing where I would say, okay, I'm never going to come here again, you know, but it took away, for that moment, it took away from that experience. Mm. didn't add to my experience. So that applies to any organization, you know, store, restaurant, theme park, law firm, you know, there's a backstage and there's an onstage and you never let backstage come on stage. I talk about the concept of, uh, in the book of Everything Speaks that every detail is either enhancing your brand or detracting from the brand. Things like trash on the ground. You know, you go to Disney World, you know, this is supposed to be this magical experience. If there's trash everywhere, uh, you've just taken away from that experience because everything speaks. The tone of voice of somebody that you're talking to on the telephone. They might be saying the right words, but if the, the tone of voice isn't, saying, hey, I like talking with you. I'm glad we're talking together. Uh, Everything speaks. And you just whittled away a moment of the brand. Uh, Another thing that I talk about is not being a customer service robot. That over time, it becomes very easy to become task-focused in our role. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, because we do what we do all the time. And so we start processing people versus serving people. All of these things I use in the Disney context because people can relate to the the Disney thing. But then I talk about, okay, but this applies in your organization too. You know, this applies in your world also. 
One thing you spoke about there was um, not letting backstage come on stage. And Mm -hmm. I know that you can actually do a behind-the-scenes tour at Walt Disney World and Disneyland. So, I wanted to kind of probe you a little bit and maybe challenge the fact that, you know, Disneyland does have a backstage pass, uh, essentially. And, and, you know, if if you've got this philosophy, (laughs) then then why... People like to see behind-the-scenes and see the workings of things. Yeah, I don't like it. Now, you do have to be 16 years old or older. Uh, <laughs> it's almost like showing the magic trick, how the magic trick's making. That was one of those things that I would prefer that they did not do. I don't agree with every single decision that they make, and that's one of the ones I don't agree with. Why? Why do you think it's not well, a good experience? Because I think it's, it's the magic, you know, it, it, because adults are kids too. Uh, you know, and, and I just think when you see Mickey Mouse without his head on, uh, you know, that, that, leave, that leaves a mark. You know, leaves a mark. Uh, for life. And then, and then they go home and they tell their friends, Hey, you know, I saw Mickey without his head on. And, um, you know, it's just, again, I don't want to dwell on it, but it's, it's, I think Disney is about magic. Mm. Uh, and so not letting backstage come on stage. By and large, that's the philosophy, other than that circumstance that you just brought up. Thank you very much. It's um <laughs> it's funny when you when you when you're touching on some of these um, you know, lessons pulling from your time at Disney and how you say they're not necessarily things that cost you more, uh, actually, to, right. to, to operationalize as a business. Um and right. often they're not even things that take a lot of extra time, actually. Um it is, mm-hmm. you know, the the attention to detail and the care factor and so forth. And so, my question is, if it's so simple, why don't we see it at more businesses? Well, I think there's a few reasons for it. But number one, I think many, many businesses have never really sat down and thought, what is the guest or the customer experience supposed to be? You know, from start to finish, what do we want the, the customer experience to be? So, I think that's probably the biggest reason is people just haven't thought this through. Uh, if they have thought it through, they, in many cases don't really communicate that with the people that are out there on the front lines of, of what that experience is supposed to be. That takes some commitment to do that, you know, to get that out to everybody. And then the big thing too, at the end of all of this is the accountability piece. Are these things non-negotiable? And a lot of organizations, they, they might have defined the, the ideal experience. They might have right. trained all their people on it, but they don't really hold people accountable for it. So, what Disney, I think, has done, and, and again, it's not rocket science. They've defined what that guest experience is supposed to be. Everybody who works there knows what that guest experience is supposed to be. And the behaviors behind it all are non-negotiable. Mm. And then, no doubt, ensuring that you're hiring for that, right? I think you've got a great time. Oh, yeah. You've got a great yeah. clip uh, on YouTube called The Four Steps to Creating a Culture of Service Excellent. And it talks about um, that as well, which I think is a, is a really, really important piece. Yeah, hiring the right people. When I in my consulting work, when somebody says, "What's the in the long term? What's the most important thing that we can do to build a service culture in our organization?" If I only had to say one thing uh, in the long term, I'd say you've got to hire service-oriented people because you can't teach somebody who doesn't have a service bone in their body to give great service. You know, you can take somebody who's wired to give good service and teach them, in this case, the Disney way of delivering that, but they've got to bring the raw material to the table. And so that's why they call it casting. When you go to, to apply for a job at Disney, 
you go to the casting center because they want you to know you're not be it's not a bunch of tasks you're not being hired to do tasks you're 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 part of something bigger so mm. you go to the casting center you're treated well throughout that inter- you know most interview processes are terrible uh, and they treat you very they treat you like a guest through that mm. interview process whether you get the job or not they 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 treat you like a guest through that interview process because the training really begins there you know and how that experience goes so they put a lot of effort into into hiring the right people it's quite interesting actually that it's even called casting actually because yeah. it, it makes it sound like you know when you when you come to work you're, you're on stage <laughs> which oh, yeah. i know you yeah. you may literally be in in the case of disney but actually right. it's right. even just a mental framework of okay i'm now putting my uniform on or i'm now going to work i i'm now stepping up as if i'm going on stage actually just that yeah, that whole that, mindset that, of casting is actually quite quite clever well, I, there's a great book that was uh, written a, a few years ago called The Experience Economy. And, uh, you know, it really, it, it very effectively, I think, makes the point that there's a show element to all of our jobs, to every company. You know, there's a show element to it. And, uh, and so I think that's what Disney has done really well to it is, is to get people to understand the role that they play. I love the terminology that you use when you speak, Dennis. You know, there's there's almost like a Disney vernacular, like yeah. Michael was alluding to. There's you know, yeah. there's on stage yeah. and off stage, and there's casting and, and that kind of stuff. And and you refer to clients um, as guests, um, yes, yeah. or the public, right? I guess I wanted to, to, to talk about staff and 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 um, how you build a team that kind of really brings that to life and you talked about yeah. it a little bit there but like can you give us a bit more background on how disney approaches hiring training and retention of the best stuff oh yeah ab- absolutely so again it starts with that hiring process so they they call it casting and it really is it's a it's an important process you know it, from a from a cast member perspective when you go through that so you've already been brought in at the beginning of your career to the Disney culture. Then before you ever set foot at wherever you're going to be working, you go through a training program at the Disney University that's called Disney Traditions. It's a two-day training uh, program where they talk about where all of this came from, what the guest experience is supposed to be, what your role in the show is in creating that experience. And every single person who joins the company goes through that program. And it doesn't matter if you're going to be working at a popcorn wagon or you're the new vice president of marketing. You go through that program. And what I love about it is the people who teach the first day that's really about the, the, the culture, they're all frontline cast members people who are very carefully chosen, but they're people who work in custodial, they work on the rides, they work in, you know, food and beverage, wherever it is. So imagine you're, you're, you're the new vice president of marketing and you're going through new hire orientation. The person that you're learning this from is somebody who's working on the front lines. That's a very, very powerful message. So every single person goes through that, no matter what their job is. Then when you go out for your on-the-job training, the people who do that, so like when you go to work on one of the rides, the people who are going to be training you for, for that job, they are selected as best of the best cast members. They're not only good at what they do, but they're good at communicating and they exemplify the, 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 uh, the Disney values. So again, there's this continuum now that started back at the casting center, weaving through that initial new hire training that Disney traditions. Now you're on the job training. 
And then you're surrounded by these messages of guest service all the time, whether it's in meetings, you know, team meetings with uh, your manager and they're reading a guest letter about something that happened, good or bad. You're in backstage areas and there's messages about the guest experience. One of the questions that I do get asked quite a bit is people say, well, how long is the training at Disney? And it's going to sound like a trite answer, but it's your whole career, you know, from the time you say, I think I'd like to work here to the time you leave, you know, everything in between is training because you're just surrounded by those messages and it works. It really works. I'm wondering, Dennis, if there's a um, something you can remember from your initial training, because, you know, you started as a, a ride operator at Disney. Right, right. You had a 20 year long career there at Walt Disney World, but mm-hmm. you started as a ride operator. So, can you tell us about yeah maybe that um and was there something you know what lesson did you learn during that time that still sticks with you today well my first job at disney world was as i said driving the submarines at twenty thousand leagues under the sea (laughs) and uh yeah i was captain nemo Uh, (laughs) my parents were so proud you know (laughs) i was 19 years old and i tell you that's still the best job i've ever had but my trainer and this keep in mind this was 1979 all right. So, but I remember it so well. My trainer, a guy by the name of Jeff, he made sure that not only did I know the task side of it, but he made sure I understood, you know, the story of Jules Verne's Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. He made sure that I understood the role that the submarine played, the role that the that the driver of the submarine played. So I felt like it was a show, and he made sure that. You know, at any time that I was in front of the guests or on the submarine, that I understood that that the show was on. So I remember one time we were making the uh, the transition from backstage to on stage, from the tunnels that are underneath the Magic Kingdom, and then coming on stage. And before we walked on stage, he stopped me, turned me around, and he made sure my name tag was on straight, that my costume looked good, that my sub you know my submarine driver cap was on straight. It was one of those things that just stayed with me of, okay, we're going on stage now. That was 1979, and I remember it very well. I want to touch on um, enabling stuff with regards to, you know, if, if you go to Disneyland, one of the things that stands out for a lot of people is just how insanely clean it is, something that you touch on. I know there's a, there's a range of, you know, very famous stories that it's not just the cleaners that are keeping right. Disneyland tidy if there's an executive that walks through. There's no hesitation in picking up a bit of, bit of trash or what have you. What do you think it is that's behind the scenes that gets all the Disney uh, employees to, to really yeah. have that attention to detail? Well, again, it starts back in that training that I was talking about. That's one of the things that they talk about. One of the things that just dazzles the Disney guests is just how clean the place is. That's the number one compliment they get, as a matter of fact, is how clean the place is. So in that Disney orientation, Disney traditions, they talk about, you know, it is our job to pick up trash. That Yes, we have a custodial department, but you think about how much trash is generated. A department can't handle it. It, it, it has to be everybody. So it begins with that. Now, when you go out for your on-the-job training, one of the things that you're doing with your on-the-job trainer, and they're very conscious of this is 
you see a piece of trash on the ground, your trainer will bring you over there and the two of you will pick up trash and throw it away. So, okay, it's being carried through now. Uh, the likelihood is you will see your manager or somebody, you know, your director, or your vice president picking up trash off the ground. And if you're seen walking by a piece of trash on the ground and not going over and picking up and throw it away, you're held accountable for that. Mm. Uh, it is truly non-negotiable. So all of those things work together. And it's not just for the trash thing. That's with just about all of the, the Disney values. That's how it happens. You know, it starts with the training, the, you know, just the education of this is what we do. Then it's built into the actual on-the-job training. And then you are held accountable for it you know, when you're on the job. I've got a, a wonderful photo. The, the quality of it is terrible, but it's a photo of Walt Disney in 1956 at Disneyland picking up trash off the ground. And I just love the visual of that, you know, that imagine you're a cast member working at Disneyland and you look over and there's Walt Disney picking up trash off the ground. You know, that, that's a very powerful message that we're all in this together. The cleanliness is almost like a, a legendary story with Disneyland because it's what everybody talks about, right? Like, what was so good mm-hmm. about Disneyland? Oh, everyone was so friendly. It was so clean. But if you think about the rides, right, and, and take mm-hmm. um, uh, the Tower of Terror, for example, how much, how right. much did the Tower of Terror actually cost to build? Uh, it was roughly $100 million US. <laughs> $100 dollars US. And, and, and so, the reason I ask that is because when you ask people what did they think of Disneyland, they don't go, oh, my God, the Tower of Terror was, like, so amazing with all the... Mm-hmm. They go, oh, was, there was no trash, people were friendly. Like, <laughs> it's yeah, a bit of a yeah. disconnect between, like, right. what they remember, the experience they remember, and yeah. the functional benefits that Disneyland provides. Can you talk about that? Yeah, the, the, when you look at Disney World or Disneyland... And you look at the rides. Now, the rides do have to be great. And people do talk about the Tower of Terror. They do talk about Space Mountain. But you can get great rides anywhere. The, any amusement park, theme park, you can get great rides. So people do love the rides at, at Disney World. But the thing that makes it different than all of these other places that you could go to get rides is all of these other elements, the, the, the cleanliness, the friendliness, how organized everything is, how they move people, you know, a lot of people very smoothly. Those are the things that say, okay, this is a Disney experience. Uh, so the rides are certainly a, a, a big part of it. If they didn't have rides, people wouldn't come. You know, if they didn't have rides and shows, people, people wouldn't come. So they are important. But the differentiator is all of the things circling it. So one of the things when I work with my clients, we'll take a flip chart and I'll say, put your product in the center of a flip chart, you know, whatever that physical product may be. You know, if it's a restaurant, it's the food. Now think about all of the other things that your customers have to go through in order to get that product, to experience that product. So it might be making a reservation, parking a car seeing the greeter when you walk in, being seated, you know, all of the things that go around. And then we'll put a circle around all of that. And I'll say, that's the product. So that's really the product. So now your food is great, but how do we make all of these other things great too? So that differentiate you from the restaurant next door that also has great food. Yeah, absolutely. It's about differentiating the difference between your product and your surface, I suppose. <laughs> the difference between your product and your experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of brands miss that. I think most brands miss that. They do. 
Uh, and again, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier that many times they haven't really thought through what do we want the experience to be um, from start to finish. I think if more organizations really sat down and just did that, that's going to take them way ahead of where they were before. Then you have to do, of course, the hard work of getting everybody to buy into that, the training, the accountability, and so forth. But, uh, but it begins with identifying what's that experience supposed to be. So, Dennis, welcome to the Quickfire Round. This is the exciting Wham Bam session where we um, ask questions in a quickfire fashion. You've got 10 seconds to answer each question as a maximum before we bring out the buzzer. So, are you ready? I am ready. Let's go. All right. What is your number one resource for learning amazing things? I read all the time. I'm always looking at what new books are out there, and, and I just read all the time, whether it's in a book or uh, an audio book. That's my passion. Great. And what's the best advice you've ever received? When I was in college, I had a professor who told me, no matter what you ever do, think of it as training for having your own company. And who would have known? <laughs> That's good advice. I like <laughs> yes, it. Yes, it really is. It really is. Yeah. Never forgot it. What book has changed your life and why? Uh, from a business book, it would be a book called First Break All the Rules by Marcus Buckingham. And that, to me, was a, a groundbreaking book. What uh, brand do you look up to? Well, Disney, of course, but I love, uh, you know, in the U.S., Southwest Airlines is, you know, known as a, as a service leader. Uh, Nordstrom Department Store, same thing. They're known as a service leader. Uh, so those are ones that are just kind of my, you know, my favorites. But Disney's number one. Understandably. <laughs> so, Dennis, you've spent a long time at Disney. What role in your career history did you learn the most at? I think probably when I was working on the rides because, you know, you, you have so much contact with the public and in many cases, just a short amount of time to make a difference uh, in their experience. What skill are you terrible at? Giving reprimands. That was the thing I hated the most when I was in management. <laughs> I would lose sleep at night. And if I had to fire somebody, forget about it. I was, uh, you know, that's why I have a company where I, it's me and two others and I do what they tell me to do. <laughs> Dennis, what's your guilty pleasure? I love photography. It's not a guilty pleasure, but I took it up about uh, two years ago because I was traveling from airports to hotels back to the airport, and I wasn't enjoying some of the cool places I was visiting, so I took up photography, and now that I have grandkids, I've about worn out one camera. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you did not have to sleep, what would you do with all that extra time? Read. I love to read. Yeah, and not just business books. I love reading novels and I love to read. And so a lot of times I am reading because I can't get to sleep. <laughs> Dennis, I want to talk about behind the scenes of Disney World and how you kind of make the magic from a operational or like how you actually design it. I was listening to a really great podcast recently called 20,000 Hertz and they talk about how the, the sounds and visuals, I guess, are used to build a world that kind of yeah. really immerses you. What goes into 
building the physical, the, the, the audioscape, the smells, the whole thing, the whole experience that immerses people in the mm-hmm. world of, of Walt Disney. Everything is built on the story. So the story of Big Thunder Mountain, the story of Splash Mountain, the story of the Country Bear Jamboree, the story of Main Street USA. So there's a story element to everything that they do. So what's the story that we're trying to tell with this attraction, this restaurant, uh, this merchandise location? That really drives then the design. So what are all of the elements that are going to reflect that story? How can we best reflect that story with the environment? That then determines, okay, what kind of music is going to immerse somebody into a runaway mine train attraction? What sort of costumes should our cast members be wearing that are going to be aligned with that story that we're trying to tell? Uh, If there's a smell factor, uh, you know, when the... uh, the universe of energy where they have the dinosaurs, the, the Imagineers, they, they put in these things called smellitzers that kind of gives the smell of a primordial swamp. Now, how they knew what a primordial swamp smelled <laughs> like, I have no idea, but uh, they, I guess they took their best guess at it. But it all goes back to what's the story that we're trying to tell. And then all of the elements start to, to kind of fall into place. Then there's a lot of nuances that the guests don't even consciously pick up on. Uh, like if you walk down Main Street USA at Disneyland or Disney World, the windows looking into the shops, next time you're there, just look at where the bottoms of those windows are. They're at a, at a level where children can see into the shop. And that comes from Walt Disney. He, he made sure that everything was looked at from the perspective of a child. Now, guests don't say, look at how low those windowsills are. You know, that was really nice that Disney did that. But it has an impact on the experience. Um, the buildings on, uh, so again, if you, when you walk into the, the park, uh, Main Street USA, you'll see that the first floor is full size. The second floor that looks like the second floor of a building, it's a smaller scale. The third level is a smaller scale. Then it's something that they call force perspective, where it makes the buildings look bigger than they are, but they're not overwhelming. There's a charm to them. There's a, there's a, there's a charm to, the, to that look. So, you know, it's, but it all goes back to what's the story we're trying to tell and then what's the best way to execute. Yeah, and like I haven't even thought about half the stuff that you just spoke about, like, you know, having yeah. the windows at children's eye levels and those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's and, amazing. and people don't think about that. You know, when you transition from one land to another at Disney World, uh, you transition from fantasy land into... Liberty Square. It's a gradual transition because they don't want it to be, okay, where am I now? I'm in a whole different place. They want it to be a gradual thing where the windows start changing, the concrete starts changing, the lights start changing gradually. So then at some point, oh, now I'm in Liberty Square or I'm in Fantasyland. Now, guess again, they don't pick up on that, but they thought it through. How do we make it so it's not such an abrupt? change from one place to another. And those transitional zones, um, I think they're called uh, decompression zones, right? Well, decompression zones is actually something different. So decompression zones backstage where the cast members can decompress because there is a lot of pressure. You know, there's a lot of of, uh, uh, so much guest contact. 
people have sky high expectations. Uh, so there's a lot of there, there's stress to to working there. And so in the backstage environments, that's where you will see, you know, cast members doing all the things that normal employees do, complaining about their supervisor. Never. <laughs> hating their shift that they have to work that, you know, and you know, all of those things that normal people do. That all happens backstage where you can decompress before you come, come back on stage. And I think that's an important thing, too, that a lot of companies miss out on, uh, that they don't provide their people with some place that they can decompress. You've obviously worked with a lot of organizations through your consulting and different companies have read your material. Are there any stories that stand out for you where they've applied some of these principles? So they've you know, taken these lessons that you shared um, from Disney and you know, have been applied. Oh, yeah. You know, when you, when you look, I do a lot of work with, uh, with banking. And, you know, a lot of the banks that I've worked with, they've, they've taken a look at things like the drive-through teller process or the, the in-the-bank process process of of how do they make people feel valued you know and and how just things like when you're the next one in line of the teller just looking over at you and making eye contact and smiling and maybe just giving you that oh it'll just be another moment look while they're still interacting with the the person that's in front of them uh so you know little things like that um probably the strangest industry i've worked with I was invited to, to speak at a, uh, a convention of uh, funeral home directors. <laughs> and I, when they asked me to do it, I said, you know, I talk about customer loyalty. This seems like you know, a one-shot deal. <laughs> when they explained it to me, it made perfect sense. They said, if you're at a memorial service or a funeral, they want you to be thinking, when I go, I want these folks to handle it. That's interesting. It's the same thing from when you park your car to when you walk into the place to the greeting you get to the, from the employees, uh, that all of that's going to impact your experience in a very emotionally charged event, you know, a very emotionally charged event. Uh, and so you know, that's why I love my job is I get to work with all kinds of, uh, of industries. Dennis, just to kind of wrap us up, I had a couple of listener questions that I wanted to ask you. People have submitted. Uh, the first one is from Dave Stillwell. He asked, how does Disney define a Disney experience? Well, it's, it's, Disney has four service standards, okay? Four service standards that are in priority order. Safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency, Okay, safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency. So first of all, a Disney experience is safe. You know, that, uh, that it's, you feel comfortable, you feel you know, comfortable with your kids going off on their own. First of all, everything's got to be safe. Uh, a Disney experience, everybody's friendly. They're courteous with, with everything. A Disney experience pays attention to the detail. That's the show element. So everything looks magical. Everything looks, you know, that's where the cleanliness and the design and all of that comes into play. A Disney experience is efficient. Even though you may be waiting in line, you know, you're moving. There's things to do while you're waiting in line. There's a lot of different things that you can see while you're at Disney World. You know, they're very good at moving people. So, you know, you take those four service standards. A Disney experience is safe. It's friendly. It's magical in terms of the show. And it's efficient. Love it. The next one is from Christelle Proctor. 
How does one get a membership to Club 33? <laughs> <laughs> you've, got, you've got to be invited to be a member of Club 33. Wow, this is, this is a real Disney fanatic that we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, yeah. It's a private club at Disneyland. They don't have it at Disney World. It's a private club at Disneyland uh, that uh, you get invited to be a member of. It's a lot, uh, you know, a lot of movers and shakers in the LA area and so forth, and senior, uh, some of the senior Disney management. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's it's kind of a well kept secret. I'm very impressed. That, uh, <laughs> well, we can find anything on the internet. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next one, I actually wanted to ask this, Dennis. So, this is from Adam Jeffrey. I heard that you can't get a job at Walt Disney World um, if you have a beard. So, why why can't I get a job at Walt Disney World? Well, that is no longer the case. Hey! You can get a job at Disney World with a beard. Uh, over the years, the, the appearance guidelines have had to evolve uh, because the population has evolved. And so, the, the when I started working there... You couldn't have a mustache, couldn't have a beard. Your your sideburns couldn't be below the bottoms of your earlobes. Uh, your hair couldn't touch the collar, the, uh, your collar in the back. And now, then, then over the years, then said, so, okay, you can have a mustache. Now you can have a beard, but everything's got to be very neatly trimmed. You know, look good and so forth, because there still is that expectation of the Disney look. Uh, but yes, you can get a job at. You might have to trim it up a little bit, but you can, <laughs> you can get a job at Disney World. <laughs> Has the addition of Marvel Studios and the Lucasfilm properties, has that um, changed the product and experience for guests? And if so, how? Well, it's, it's really expanded the opportunities, you know, in, in the market of people who are fans of those characters. And Star Wars in particular, I think, is, uh, you know, because there are the fanatics, the, the, the Star Wars fanatics. So it's kind of like, you know, at Universal with Harry Potter land, uh, which Universal did a wonderful job creating this Harry Potter world there. Um, and so Disney is constantly looking at, okay, how do we expand our reach? You know, how do we get more fans within the Disney family? And so Star Wars was a wonderful opportunity. Marvel, again, you know, you look at all of the character opportunities that people love. You know, keep in mind the, the whole synergy part of it is that every one of those properties becomes food and beverage opportunities, merchandise opportunities, movie opportunities. Um, and so those were really, really good decisions because it just expands the reach. There's an interesting lesson there, actually, in not being afraid to dilute your original brand, but to rather expand on expand it, it and, yeah. and, and bring, bring in new, uh, new channels, new customers, new product yeah. lines, etc. But you, you bring up a good point, though, because you don't want to dilute it. So that's one of the things that they are very careful about is how do we incorporate these new things without diluting the brand? If you go into Disney World, still, Mickey Mouse, he's the guy. You know, the Mickey Mouse, oh, yeah, <laughs> he's the star. So they, they work really hard to expand it and not dilute it. Dennis, we've got. Uh, this is something that we haven't haven't tried before, but we actually asked Michael's kids to uh, to record some questions for us. So we've got Charlotte, who's five, and Grace, who is eight. Okay. This is the first one from Charlotte, who is five, and I've got one more from her afterwards. Well, I was wondering, is anybody in that castle? Are there any princesses in it? Charlotte, there's actually an apartment inside the castle 
that was originally built for Walt Disney. And uh, it was left unused for many, many years. And now there's actually an apartment that people can actually stay in there. But certainly that's where Cinderella and some of the other princesses, when they're getting ready to come out on stage to greet the guests, uh, they're coming out of the castle. That's fantastic. I did not know that. That's, uh, that's amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're going to get trumped by questions from five-year-olds, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. Good, yes, that was a good question. Here's, uh, here's question number two. What does Mickey Mouse eat for dinner? Well, <laughs> I've never actually seen Mickey eating, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's cheese. <laughs> but don't look it up anywhere because I could be wrong on that. Yeah, Stumped by Charlotte. Yeah, Awesome. All right. And then this is a question from Grace, Michael's daughter, who is eight years old. What was your favorite part of working at Disneyland and what were some of the things you learned there? Oh, my favorite part was just watching people of all ages, people from your age to their parents, uh, to the grandparents, and they're all acting like kids. They're all acting the same. They're just having a fantastic time. And, and that was just so much fun to watch there. You know, some of my favorite things was just people watching. You saw them do some crazy things. You saw them do some fun things, but uh, but that was a real pleasure. Awesome, love it. Well, yeah, like I said before, I think maybe we uh, we're going to get trumped by questions from some five and eight year olds, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll get some new hosts on the show. Yeah, <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> All right, Dennis, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Oh, it's been my pleasure. This has been a lot of fun. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Well, Adam, what a fantastic conversation with Dennis. Amazing. I think this is one of my all-time favorites. No, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. So, this is our, our debrief section where we sum up the, the practical takeaways that we heard uh, in the interview. Uh, and this was a bit of a challenging one because, you know, <laughs> so much that we talked about. <laughs> and Dennis was really great. He kind of served it up on a platter for us um, in right. terms of, you know, what the, what the lesson was, uh, an example of it, but also like how another business can think about it. Um, we found it difficult to actually kind of sum them up, but um, why don't we give it a go? Sure. So, what was your first, what was your first takeaway? Yeah, one that really stood out for me, and I hadn't really heard it being framed like this in terms of customer experience conversations, and it was this whole concept of backstage versus on stage, and the two um, shall not meet. It's obviously, you know, a very kind of performance-driven sort of industry, like in entertainment or what have you, and it's not something that we really think about in terms of customer experience, but really the two should be exactly the same. I mean, in many ways, it is a performance and it is a show that we put on in terms of how we interact with our customers. And, you know, what stood out for me actually was, and what it reminded me of, was actually (laughs) back in uh, my studying days when I was at McDonald's. And I remember one of the first things they teach you in the training is to never eat in, in, in a spot where a customer can see you and, yeah. and to also not leave your shift where people can see you in your uniform. And like these small details are really super important. I love this concept of what happens back of house and how the mechanics of everything runs. You know, that really should be behind the scenes and then let the magic happen on stage. Yeah, absolutely. To kind of follow on from that, I really like this idea of how Dennis was talking about the small wins that actually matter rather than, you know, like we, I think we think about Disney as this magical brand that has this, 
this huge rock star thing, which is like Walt Disney World. Um, right. But to, but to create Walt Disney World and make it magical, it's not just this one thing. There's like the, each little element, right? The way this manifested was, you know, like the employees notice the kids' names on the back of their ears and, you know, mm. like uh, the windows on Main Street are low so the kids can see in. So, that's just like a, like a detail that they've paid attention to. Just like all of these little things uh, that they do add up and, and the fact that they care so much. And it was eye-opening because I thought that, you know, Walt Disney World was just like this big one rock star thing. Whereas it's mm. actually the culmination of, you know, um, lots and lots of little small wins. Yeah, no, that's great. And um, the other one that stood out for me was, it's like, it's such a fundamental, but I don't think we talk about it enough, is this this whole like accountability. So, if we're going to say, do you know what, we're going to be super customer centric, we're going to... Um, be known for delivering magical moments and for always being clean well then when someone walks past a little bit of rubbish as an example you can't let, actually let that slide <laughs> um, and then you have to have some form of accountability built into the system because otherwise what happens is people just don't take it seriously and they're just a bunch of nice words and it's just you know another poster on the wall saying customers come first but if it's not enforced in a positive way then the whole culture is not going to rally behind that. So I think that was um, that was that was a really really fundamental one. Yeah, that that really stood out for me. Yeah, and just on hiring, um, my my other takeaway was about hiring as well. So you know, Dennis talked about hiring for a service mindset. Uh, yeah, that was interesting, actually. Yeah. So like, in, you know, I think sometimes we think that we can train anything um, in organisations, and you can train a lot of skills, which is great, but you can't train um, the, 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 the give a gene, right? You can't... Right. So, you have to hire for attitude. Uh, and I think we, we hear this as kind of like business vernacular that people talk about. But when we actually go through the hiring process, we don't think about it enough. You know, I think it was just really clear from Disney's point of view, they understand you can't train a mindset. Um, you can train skills. But, you know, they actively reject people that don't have that service mindset, that that don't want to go that extra mile and really improve and make those magical experiences possible. So, just to recap, what was uh, your first takeaway, Mike? Yeah, so the whole um, separating backstage versus onstage. Yep. Mine was that the small wows add up and that the details matter. Yeah, and the third one for me was to never forget about that foundational element of accountability. So, in that execution, to ensure that you always had that rhythm of accountability. And then finally, you need to hire for a service mindset because you can't train attitude. Mm. Awesome. Well, this was a lot of fun. You know, Disney was on our, uh, our wish list from the very beginning of starting this show and Dennis certainly delivered. So, uh, really glad uh, we were able to do that. And by the way, if anyone has... Uh, people that you'd like to hear us chat to, whether it's an industry. Um, we've got some thoughts around you know, having a chat to folks in hospitality and travel so we can learn from those as well. But we'd love to get your thoughts. So, if anyone comes to mind, please uh, let us know. You can catch me, Michael, at rateitapp.com. And you can email me at adam at wavelength.audio. Thanks for listening. Customer Experience Leaders is a co-production of Rated, the market leader in on-the-spot customer feedback, and Wavelength, podcasting production, strategy, and amplification for brands. This episode was produced by Nick Jones, Christopher Lawson, and me, Adam Jaffrey, and it was edited and mixed by Josh Armour. Our theme music is by Icolix and Peter Cooley. 
For more information about customer experience leaders, or if you'd like to see the picture that Dennis mentioned in the episode of Walt Disney picking up the trash, we've put that in the episode show notes. You can find that at our website, which is customerexperienceleaders.com slash 10. That's one zero. And if you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast app of choice and tell a friend. It makes a big difference to growing our audience. I'm Adam Jaffrey. Thank you so much for listening. We produce this show every fortnight, so we'll speak to you in two weeks.